0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to But What Will People Say? I'm your host, Tisha mystery mazepa We're back for another week. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope we're all staying safe. And I have some housekeeping to do before we get the show on the road. Um, I am trying to add a new segment to the show where so many of you listeners have, you know, so much insightful Advice and things that you message me, but our listeners don't get to hear it. And so my request for you guys is to help me create sort of an advice segment on the show. So basically how it would work is you guys who are listening that are in relationships, whether they're interracial, interfaith, LGBTQ, just dating someone, it doesn't really matter, um, send in your one piece of advice that you would like to give a listener of this show so it can be related to anything parents creating boundaries self-confidence dating raising kids navigating race having different political views gaining financial independence wedding planning female empowerment basically anything positive that you would like to share with our listeners i want to hear from you guys so here's how it's going to work depending on how many submissions i get we might turn this into A short little segment at the beginning of every episode or we might have one whole episode of just advice Um, I'll see what I get from you guys so if you want to participate if you want to hear your voice for a little bit on this show here's what you have to do you're going to open up your voice memo app on your phone and on that you're gonna record your advice and save it try to keep it between one and five minutes start it off with a quick little intro like your name your age where you're from Nothing too specific. Please don't give me your address. And then you're going to give us your little piece of advice. Keep it short and sweet. You're going to email it to podcast at gmail.com. And in the subject line, you're going to write advice. So whenever you get a hot second, take a sec, pause this episode, record your advice and send it my way. I really want to hear from you guys. Also. If you don't want to hear your voice on the show, but you do have something you'd like to share, you can write it up and send it to me via email, same email as always, you guys know it by now, and I'll read it out loud. You are also welcome to be anonymous, so if you don't want to give out anything like your name, you are welcome to do that as well. So the deadline for the submission right now is going to be July 31st. We might make this an ongoing thing, and as people send things in, I can throw it into episodes. Um... We'll just see how many submissions we get. So that is the first thing. If you'd like to be a quick guest on the show and leave some advice for our listeners, that's your chance to do that. The next thing, the show has been going on for a very long time now, about eight months, nine months now, and we finally have a Patreon page. So what Patreon is, is it's a way for listeners to support the show and for creators to make some sort of an income um, really, for me, it comes down to being able to afford to keep the show running. Um, creating a podcast isn't free aside from the hundreds of dollars in equipment that I've purchased. I also pay monthly hosting fees to keep the webs- the website and the show live. Um, and this costs anywhere from $18 to $25 a month, depending on... How long each episode is and if you guys have been listening, you know that I don't shorten the episodes I don't give people a time cap, you know an episode can run from 45 minutes to two hours and I like that it gives you know our guests the chance to talk and tell their whole story and you guys to hear all the details Um, however, that does cost uh, A little bit of money to keep running. So things like that are what your donations would cover how Patreon works is you can make a single one-time donation to the show or you can become a monthly donor and there's different tiers to do that. I named all of my tiers after Indian sweets. Um, you can donate on Chalebi level, Rasmalai, Malai, or Kesar Penda. And on there, there are different perks for different tiered donors, for example, If you donate on any monthly level, you will get a personally handwritten thank you note, probably with a little floral doodle of mine added in and sent your way. Um, There are other perks like baked goods from me as well as I believe we had. What was it? I don't remember. Please go on the website and check it out. You could read all about it. It's really quick and it's a nice way to support the show because we have to keep the show going, you know? And I really appreciate every single one of you who tune in and listen every single week. And if you can't afford to make a monetary donation to the show, that's okay. There's so many other ways you guys can show your support. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can share the show on your social media. Tell your friends about it. Send the link to somebody that you think would benefit from listening. Um, The Patreon account is just a way to help keep things moving along and help the show grow. I would love to invest in maybe a video format for the show or better equipment um, and just things like that. So if you want to support the show, that's how you could do that. You can find it on patreon.com forward slash B-W-W-P-S. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash B-W-W-P-S. The links for all of these things will also be in the description of the show. So now that I've just made the longest intro to this show ever, let's get to it. Our guest this week is Darini. We talk about being a teacher in COVID-19 times. I know a lot of you guys, if you have kids, you have been at home and trying to play parent and teacher and caregiver and best friend all at once to your kids. And so me and her get into not just her relationship, and all of those interracial dating things that we always talk about. We also dive into the world of telehealth, tele-education, Zoom calls, and the very intimate lives of the kids that not only herself, but I as well have worked with. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. You can find me on Instagram at Dishes by Dishes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, you can email bwwpspodcast at gmail.com. All right, here we go, guys. I'm done talking, sort of. We're here with Dharini, and she's going to tell us a little bit about
1: herself. Hi, I'm Dharini. I'm a, um, a high school teacher. I teach science. Uh, I'm engaged to a, a wonderful man named Greg, who is very not Indian. And um, <laughs> my parents have been here for 30 years or so. I was born in the States. And I'm really, really excited to be chatting with you today. We're excited to have you here. I say we
0: all the time about this podcast. It's just me. I'm the only person here. Um, but tell us a little bit about Greg. How did you guys meet?
1: Greg and I met in college. We met just about the first day. He lived down the hall from me. And um, he was dating someone else at the time who did not work out, obviously, but One day he sat down on my floor uh, and asked me to make him a cup of tea because he'd just broken up with his girlfriend and he just kept coming back for more cups of tea and eventually he wasn't sad anymore and he was just there to, to spend some time.
0: Awesome. And you guys have been together for nine years.
1: Just about. Yeah. Wow. And you're getting married soon? Hopefully, uh, powers that be willing, August. Oh,
0: it's this year. This year. The scary time to be a bride. <laughs> I mean, it's always scary to be a bride, but I feel like 2020 is a real savage.
1: It's a big year for weddings, too. Oh yeah. I
0: know we had, I think we had like three or four weddings this year. And, you know, that number's dropping slowly, which is unfortunate, but. Hopefully by August, the things are cleared up. But how has how is wedding planning a
1: fusion wedding going? The fusion part is definitely the hard part. Yes. I will say that um, where I live, there's not a huge Indian community. And there's not a, a ton of um, people of color in general. And so when I'm looking for venues and vendors and all of those sorts of things, We've been running into a lot of issues with cultural, like artifacts and traditions. Uh, the venue that we are looking into initially didn't want us to have a havan or a fire, mm-hmm. which, as you know, is pretty essential for a Hindu ceremony. We're not allowed to throw flower petals because generally that just makes a mess. Um, the decorator only had one set of Mundup furniture. It was a, a miracle that they had any. Yeah. And all of the other decorators didn't have any Mundup furniture at all. So choices are limited, catering is limited, space is limited. But the actual um, the integration of two families has been really smooth. Yeah, that's awesome. Where is Greg's family from? Uh, they are from the Albany area in New York. Awesome, and he's Italian, I think? He is half Italian. Uh, I guess technically the other half is um, British-ish, but his dad's side came here like they're Mayflower people. Yeah,
0: like basically just American at this point. Yeah. Yeah, that's how Mike describes himself too. His mom is Italian and his dad's side is Ukrainian, but like they're basically American. They've been here forever. And like his family you can find in the... Alice Island book. That's how flowery they are. Oh, wonderful. Um, But yeah, it's interesting. Some people struggle to sort of fuse the cultures and then some people don't. What's been the most like fulfilling part about sharing your culture with him?
1: Definitely hearing him speak Gujarati with my grandmother. That's so well, sweet. He'll say Jaya in the morning. Um, He knows when she wants water, so she'll. She speaks English. She taught English in India, but she just refuses to to use it. Um, she wants <laughs> us to to learn, and it's working really well. That's awesome. Yeah, the a uh, one day actually
0: while this whole quarantine thing's been going on, there's been so many Facetime calls, yeah. and just kind of out of the blue, my cousin in India, she's my first cousin, she FaceTimed me. And I answered and we're talking. And, you know, obviously, Mike is there and he's and he just starts speaking, just like you said, a few like phrases that he knows Mm gamcho. And I was like, a little part of me almost cried because it was like so spontaneous. And so like, it wasn't like, okay, we're gonna call my grandma, like, whatever, like, you can say this, like, he just like went with it. And it was really sweet and endearing to
1: hear. <laughs> oh, Greg asked me for a dubby the other day. I nearly cried. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know it's really sweet when they try their best to embrace our culture cuz growing up, like I grew up in New Jersey and when I was younger and a lot of us when we were younger were af- not afraid of our culture but afraid of sharing our culture. Right. Because you know, we got made fun of and our food smelled weird and our clothes were funny and whatever. And so I grew up very hesitant to share my culture with him initially. And like obviously over time that has changed, but I know you had expressed kind of similar hesitancies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely experienced very similar feelings growing up. I grew up in an area where there are a lot of of people of different ethnicities, lots of Indian kids around me. But it never felt like that was the person that I was supposed to be. I grew up thinking that I was supposed to be American. And the Indian part was the, the novelty if people were into that. Yeah. Um, so for a very long time, I didn't cook Indian food. I didn't wear Indian clothes. Um certainly not to school. And I didn't really involve Greg in the things I deemed Indian about myself. Yeah.
0: Um, I was like that too. I, I, you know, once in a while, Michael would get like a picture of me in an Indian outfit if I had gone to an event and, you know, whatever. But I, until we were engaged, I never brought him to like an Indian event or, you know, introduced him to my Like, our wedding planning was, like, the most immersed he had been until that point. Like, there were days where he's like, you're very Indian. <laughs> and, like, not in a bad way. But it's like we're sitting here in Edison, New Jersey at Dimple's Cassiat ordering, like, tosa <laughs> and samosa. And I'm just going at it, getting different things off the menu. And he would just laugh. Because until all this wedding planning and all these trips to edison and on indian clothes and like talking to like the priest and all of this he had been he was aware of my culture and i shared bits and pieces of it but he wasn't so immersed in it and like now he's like can you teach me to make chai because like then i can make it for you because i make it but he you know sometimes he wants to make it instead of making coffee in the morning yeah he's like you can teach me i know i can make it and it's really cute
1: that's so sweet
0: yeah, and he's he's taken it in stride. I'm, I'm still hesitant to share it with, like, all of our, like, other extended family, but we have slowly been doing it. We use, like, Thanksgiving and holidays as an excuse where we'll make, you know, traditional Western food, but we'll also have, like, Indian food or biryani and stuff on the menu. Um, and they've responded really well to it, too. But even now, like I've been married for like over a year and it's like baby steps for me.
1: It's very deeply ingrained, the hesitation. (laughs) I was very scared. I was very nervous when I started to incorporate or mention parts of my culture to my fiance's extended family. I mean, they've always been really wonderful, but the way that I always thought of it was that I was on my best behavior, which also meant that I was on my, for lack of a better word, my whitest behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't use any Indian words or anything like that. I didn't really talk about our traditions. But the thing that really kind of started it, got the ball rolling in talking to my future-in-laws about my culture was actually that my future mother in law, who was a kindergarten teacher for many, many years, uh, asked me to talk to her class about Diwali. And so I took a half day and I went and told her students the story about Ram and Sita and the whole Ravana and the big scary monster. And after that, you know, she wanted to know more. And that really encouraged me to open up about it
0: yeah for sure it it's interesting because you also mentioned like the mother-in-law situation that we the very few wins you get when you go into the (laughs) interracial world is most of us don't end up with like that mother-in-law sasu situation that so many like south asian brides end up in because you know we don't have to treat our husbands like babies for lack of a better phrase, (laughs) you know, and it's funny because my mother-in-law for sure took a little time to adjust to with just like a lot of the cultural stuff, just because like she's not used to spicy food. She's, you know, and she loves it. She thinks it's beautiful, but she's also like a picky eater. So she was always hesitant to like try Indian food or like do you think she didn't always understand? But as long as you kind of prep her and like you give her some time, like it's okay. And you know what? She doesn't always have to like it. You know, yeah. just like there's some things that I don't like that American people make for dinner or whatever. Yeah. It's the same concept. And I think that's, you have to be okay with that. Right. When you go into the whole interracial realm, you have to be okay with like, they don't have to love everything. Yeah. They just have yeah. to be open to it. Right. Right. Because it it's is. easy to be offended, right? It's like we spend our whole life like hiding our culture and then when we show it, it can be hard to accept that maybe like they don't like samosa or they think samosa is <laughs> too spicy and you're like, what? But it's okay.
1: Um, and it makes things a lot easier. I think there's definitely something to be said for going into it, being open with them, potentially not liking any of it. And that's kind of where I started was that, all right, I'm going to give this a go. They may hate it. And if they like it, that's a bonus. And coming into it with that kind of attitude, I think, gave my future in-laws the space to to be okay with liking or not liking and giving their honest opinion about things. Yeah. I it's- will say that my, my future mother-in-law is definitely more open and vocal about liking the things that I'm introducing to her um my fiance's father is just a quiet man he's a very very quiet man and he I think is not necessarily as comfortable but he's going to wear a suit for this for the Hindu Mm -hmm. ceremony he's not wearing a Gurtha or anything and I just told him that that was okay yeah that's it's OK. Pushing him into it is not going to make him like it more. Exactly. It.
0: And, you know, we we toe that line of trying to make everyone feel comfortable. But at the same time, where do we decide, like, well, like this is part of my culture. Why can't you accept that? And it's like, it's OK. Like I I've seen like grooms where they're not comfortable wearing the kurta either. And yeah. so for the Hindu wedding, they're in traditional like in a suit. like your father-in-law and like that's okay if it's not okay with you then that's a conversation you need to have with your partner right you know that's between the bride and groom you know what I mean like for me it meant a lot when Michael was super willing and open to wear Indian clothes for the Hindu ceremony and like his whole family did his brother his mom and dad everyone and it meant so much to me yeah you know and But even if they chose not to, because I wasn't sure, you know what I mean? I was very mm-hmm. on edge. I'm like, I don't know if they're going to be okay with it. Um, but I think part of them also knew how much it meant to me. So, like, it never really showed if they weren't. Right. And, you know, our wedding went okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. And over time, they've also been exposed to, like, so much of my family being around and they just kind of, and my family, like, overcompensates trying to make them feel comfortable. And so whenever, like, Mike's parents go to my aunt's and uncle's house for dinner or whatever, like, they're always like, you know, we made some pasta for you just in case. My mother still does that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they still do it. They're going to do it. And it's okay. You know, it's like they're trying their best. And, you know, at this point, it's been so long that we're, it's just what it is. And, like, my in-laws have learned the different Indian foods that they do like or that they can eat. And then some things are like, you know, it's okay. No, thank you. Whatever. And no one takes it personally. We've all just yeah. like moved past it. Um, And even like my parents have come over, like they'll drop off Diwali sweets to my mm-hmm. in-laws. And like my, Michelle, Mike's mom, will send Christmas presents to all my aunts and uncles and stuff. Oh, wow. And so like it's nice being on the other end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you are also. You were talking about you went to a STEM school. Where did you go to school? I went to RPI,
1: uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute.
0: Awesome! I've never heard of it. Where is that?
1: It's it's also in the Albany area. Okay, got yeah. it. All um, right,
0: and you were talking <laughs> about the dating scene at STEM schools. Tell us about it.
1: So, for a brief period of time. Uh, I was single in college (laughs) before Greg and I got together, um, and there's a certain level of expectation when there's so many other Indian people around that you are going to behave in a particular way. Uh, one of my, one of the first friends I made asked me if I was the kind of Indian who made friends with Indian people or if I was the kind of Indian who avoided Indian people. And... Me being Indian and him also being Indian agreed that we were both Indians who didn't hang out with other Indians. And then we kept hanging out with each other. (laughs) Um, But the dating scene, Indian boys, kind of like you were saying, the Indian boys that I interacted with at STEM school, a lot of them were coming from directly from India. And they expected me to treat them like a baby. Mm. Um, right off the bat and then on the other hand the the people like us who are first generation second generation immigrants were expecting that I would be very very Americanized and the fact that I lay kind of in between those two Indian in ways people didn't expect American in ways that people didn't expect meant that all of the Southeast Asian gentlemen who I interacted with Kind of didn't know what to do with me, which mm-hmm. was fine by me. I did not enjoy the kinds of expectations that were being put on me just because of the way that I looked. And on top of that, the drunk college boys who would tell me how exotic I look. God, I fucking hate the word exotic. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: I, if you're a brown girl, even if they don't know you're brown you have been called exotic at some point and it's always uncomfortable. It's never not, com- like it's, it's never it's never a compliment. Yeah, and it doesn't matter who it's coming from. It doesn't matter if it's coming from like the brown boys or the not brown boys, it's always creepy and it's always uncomfortable. And when I was really young, because like we're not raised in this culture of dating, you, you don't even know what to make of it. So yeah. the first couple of times it happened, I just brushed it off. I didn't really think anything of it. And then looking back, I was like, oh, gross. You know, because like you, you don't know how to date. You don't know how boys are supposed to act because you're like so sheltered off from it. Yeah. That I find that a lot of South Asian women like don't know how to react to a lot of things. Like even my cousins, I'll get texts every now and then. One of them texted me, she's in college now. And she was like, a girl in my class called me whitewashed. Should I be offended? And I was like, I mean, I'm petty. I was like, do we like her? Or do we not like her? That's very <laughs> important right now. Because, you know, I have kind of decided to own it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm whitewashed. And now if you call me that, it's not offensive because I call myself that. Whatever. Yeah. But obviously, it is really offensive. Otherwise,
1: it's if really rude. If it's coming rude. from somebody that you don't know and trust, yeah, it's very rude. To just assume that you know so much about somebody to say like, oh, you're white. yeah. Because what? I don't wear a bindi every day and, and twirl around in, in jolies.
0: Yeah. And it, like you said, like how you describe yourself, like you're a balance of both Indian and American. That's all of us. Right. Just because maybe, like you said, we don't walk around with a bindi or a chanlo on our forehead, like does not make us any less or more Indian because most people don't do that. I don't walk around in my chenya choli in my free time.
1: <laughs> okay, like walking around in a ball gown, like, are <laughs> are you less white because you don't wear a ball gown every day? Yeah, no.
0: I it almost. I know this is gonna this is gonna get under people's skin, but it feels like if you're you're considered more Indian the more you entertain a brown boys like tendencies and behaviors and like need for attention and like the drama and the nonsense because at least for me the Indian boys I interacted with not the ones that I was like close friends with growing up but when I went to college that didn't really know me and you know, like they said they would call you either exotic or they would call you whitewashed or they would kind of talk to you but in like that kind of demeaning entitled fuckboy-esque situation I don't know how to describe it but if you're listening you know exactly what I mean and depending on how you reacted to that was where you got categorized right if you sat there and were like yeah absolutely not fuck that and like you're outspoken and you have an opinion you're whitewashed but if you take it if you allow it if you still think he's attractive after that behavior you're Indian you're a nice brown girl you're raised by the right kind of parents right because That's how you should react when a guy tells you to make him tea. It's like. Oh, it makes me seethe. Yeah, it makes your skin crawl. And it makes my skin crawl watching it still happen and
1: watching Watching, young South Asian girls take it. And watching mothers raising their kids that way now. Mothers that are in of our generation who are still doing that stupid boys will be boys. Like attitude towards their small children that's yep. not the the traditions that we want to perpetuate anymore
0: exactly it was one thing when we grew up and you went to your friend's house and you know I had friends with brothers and sisters and grandma would always tell the girl you know if you're making lunch make sure you ask your brother if he's hungry and I, I would be there like I didn't have a brother until I was 12 so the, for the first 12 years I'm like what
1: <laughs> what do you mean
0: like why does you have to do that and now that I do have a brother I realized I'm like oh this is a thing now and it was always it was always uncomfortable because I always wouldn't be like why but I didn't want to be rude so I just yeah. didn't say anything yeah yeah um but from very early on like I knew that like I was always towing that line of like calling out boys and the way like their moms treated them I would you know, you go to those family functions, right? And then all the boys are outside playing basketball or tag or whatever the hell they're doing outside, nothing. Mm -hmm. And then all the girls are inside in the kitchen, making puri, helping clean the kitchen, putting the plates together and the talis and all of that. And I was like,
1: I'm confused. (laughs) What's happening here? I'm definitely very grateful that I was raised in a slightly more progressive situation. for whatever reason, my parents did not entertain that kind of behavior. And the company that they kept was of like mind. And so when Greg started coming to family events, he was never, there were very few people who would tell him to just like go sit with the gents and um, have a cup of coffee or have some cha and sit around while I was in the kitchen. He was always in the kitchen with me But so were all of the boy cousins. If he wasn't in the kitchen, it was, okay, you're going to go with the boy cousins to go set up the furniture. Everyone got put to work in the same way. There was never this like sit down and relax attitude. And I think part of that came from the fact that there are so few boys in my family. There are very, very few boys. And so we couldn't really afford to coddle them. Yeah
0: exactly and then it, it's funny in my family for a family that has so many girls it's I think it's because all the girls are still much younger I'm the oldest and so they still when Michael comes around if he so much a steps in the kitchen and picks something up all the aunties are like no 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 put it down it's okay <laughs> and I'm like it's fine he can be helpful like whatever he can yeah. get his own water like motimami wow. like he comes over all the time we don't need <laughs> to serve him water like he knows where the cups are, you know. Like this, right? It, the first couple of times I got it, he was his first time visiting, and like Jemai is coming, but like <laughs> now it's like relax. Like he ha- he hangs out and like texts my cousins all day long on Facetime and whatever, and we don't need to make the fuss. But hopefully, as they get older, that fuss dies out, and hopefully, Absolutely. as they get older, because I'm sure not all of them are going to bring home a brown boy. <laughs> it will all just phase out.
1: I got so lucky. I'm the youngest or one of the youngest on either side of my family. And the, my eldest cousin, who is, oh, I won't out her age. I was the flower girl at her wedding. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Uh, she married a, an American boy. And so that set the tone for our entire family. Uh, and he is wonderful. My My Gija is just a great, great guy, very like family oriented, and all of that fits right in. And so my family didn't have an issue with us bringing home whomever. Yeah, didn't end up playing a part. My older sister married an American man, um, and he's equally wonderful. Um so by the time Greg came along and I was just like, by the way, Mom and Dad, not marrying an Indian guy, they're like and.
0: <laughs> you and everyone else. <laughs> yeah, you
1: and everyone else.
0: Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Do you think your oldest cousin had a hard time bringing home an American boy, or do you think it was fairly mild, their reactions?
1: I'm sure there was some trepidation, because she felt the same things we felt, Even more so because she was growing up in the U.S. in the late 70s, early 80s, um, when racism, which was much stronger towards people like us. Um, And in turn, the racism on the other end from our side could have been much worse. But she her parents as well are quite modern and, and with the times, they moved here in the 70s and assimilated mm-hmm. very quickly. And so they, I think their concern really was just that he was a good guy.
0: Awesome, that's awesome. Do you think, so you said you didn't have to keep Greg a secret really, like you could, and you were bringing him around to like events and stuff. Was there ever a point where people outside of just, like, your family that had an issue, or was it kind of okay?
1: If there was an issue, it wasn't brought to my attention. Uh, The biggest issue that I ran into was that they kept calling, they thought he was my (laughs) brother-in-law. They'd call him James instead. Um, So that was a little bit weird, but... No, I my parents are have collected this really tremendous community of really progressive and thoughtful, like-minded people. Um, I will say this. When my sister got married, there was a little bit more pushback from our outward community. Um, and again, not in the sense that, like, oh, she shouldn't do this. More so just why why is she doing this? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't she pick one of the many lovely boys that we have displayed <laughs> for her? Who we're all like genuinely lovely people. It's just that she fell in love with somebody else. Yeah. And, and that's I'm... not a concept that a lot of, of uncles and aunties are familiar with. Yeah, for
0: sure. I wonder if like, because your family's been in the U.S. The lo- like longer than even my family. My family's been here since, like, late 80s and 90s. So Ooh. I feel like the longer they're here, the less of a pushback you get. Yeah. So sometimes it is a time game. Yes. You know, because for sure there's you know there's that wave in the 70s of immigration and then like the 90s there was a big boom and then Mm -hmm. even in the 2000s 2010s that huge like burst in like the IT world especially like science and tech the world you are very familiar (laughs) with had this huge boom and I do find that they are the most difficult to explain what my decision to like marry Mike is to them because a lot of them come here, most of them don't even come here to stay. They just come here to work and then kind of go back. Some are already married. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my neighbors. I lived in like one of those typical like apartment developments where like all the brown families lived. And our neighbors in one of in our building, they were a group of young men from India who are all i t professionals. And there are like six of them all living in this apartment and they would just come here to work and Mm -hmm. that's it there was no putting roots down here there was no integrating into american society there was no none of that it was Mm -hmm. all we come here we work we send the money back and then we eventually go back to india and so there's almost no exposure yeah and so they would always stare at me like oh like that other brown girl who like she goes out by herself like i had a you know my mom let me use her car and I would just like get dressed, go. I would go to work, go to school, whatever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And like, I was like the most peculiar thing they've ever seen is like <laughs> an independent female having her own life, you know? Yeah. And so that was always uncomfortable.
1: Did you ever feel like they were sizing you up?
0: Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. It was always. <sighs> I don't know how to describe it. Like it wasn't like I ever felt like unsafe or anything, you know, but it was always just like, I don't know if it was judgment or curiosity or just like, what are you like? Or I wonder, it's like more like, how did you become like this? Like, who are you and where did you come from? And so I don't know. It was always just like really weird. But they would never talk to me. Oh, no. In, like, the years that they lived downstairs, <laughs> they never spoke to us once. No. I, yeah. I, I find that happens a lot in our, like, South Asian community is, like, people just kind of stare at you because, like, they're like, you are one of us. We know that. But, like... It's
1: the car stare. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? I do it, too. It's, like, this weird instinctual thing. If I see another brown person I stare until you can't you're like until your <laughs> neck physically cannot rotate far <laughs> enough to keep staring at them
0: yeah and uh, that's that I'm, definitely
1: part of it now that I'm in a, an area where there's not as many Indian people when and Greg does this too now when we see another Indian person you lock eyes <laughs> do we know each other no are we sure? Still no. Keep looking.
0: <laughs> yeah, the stares definitely happen, and I'm always kind of like, do we smile? Do you say? And like, generally, I don't really notice it too much. I notice when they're staring at me. Yeah, that's when I notice because <laughs> it is that prolonged awkward, like we're you're still <laughs> looking.
1: I don't know what to make of this. Am I supposed to say hi? Am right, I forgetting like, that I know you?
0: Yeah, exactly. And do you acknowledge that you're both brown? Like, I don't yes. know. I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. Anyway, <laughs> moving on to the STEM world. Yes. You went to a STEM school, but you chose to become a teacher. So tell yes. us about that.
1: Um, I, I always wanted to do science. I always loved science. I was never pushed towards science directly. Um, like many of us, I was just pushed to get really good grades in everything always. Um, but I I was naturally pretty drawn to sciences. And I thought that I would be a researcher when I was in like seventh grade or whatever. And I wrote what I want to be when I grow up. I said I wanted to be a geneticist. Um, and so I, I pursued that. My parents really supported that. They're like, yes, yeah, okay, we've got one. We're going to run with this. <laughs> um, my sister went to culinary school. She went she did psychology. She very, very well-educated woman, but she didn't necessarily follow the, the standard path. Um, and so when I said, you know, I know exactly what I want to do. I'm going to be a scientist. They're like, all right, let's go. Um, <laughs> and I very nearly did it. I got my bachelor's in biology. I worked in labs. I hated it. I really, really hated sitting in a lab all day and staring through a microscope. It was nowhere near as fast-paced as I thought it was going to be. I wasn't making discoveries. I wasn't even really learning things. I was just counting bacteria yeah. on a slide.
0: Yeah,
1: my mom's a microbiologist.
0: Hours. I understand. Uh, bless
1: her. Um, but what, it, what did end up happening was that I was a TA for an undergraduate lab, um, and I enjoyed it so much, they actually asked me to do it again. Uh, Usually it's only done once, and then you move on. Uh, So I got to get kind of a taste of teaching when I was quite young, 19, 20, and I found that it was way more exciting when my students' experiments worked way more exciting than when my experiments worked. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just watching them accomplish something was so gratifying to know that I had even just a little bit of a hand in it. Um, So I decided to apply for graduate school in a teaching program, which is required for us here in New York. Um, And my teachers, my professors, when I asked them for recommendations, were not super thrilled. They were very confused. Um, They expected that I would, I mean, I was doing relatively well in school. They expected I'd get a master's or a PhD in something biology related. And I got asked in several different instances why I was wasting my bachelor's.
0: Yeah. The typical Indian judgment. Why aren't you a doctor?
1: Oh no, it wasn't even it wasn't even from my my Indian community. It was from my professors. Oh really? Yeah. From my white American professors who were so steeped in this world of academia that they had a hard time coming to terms with the idea that I I mean, I had also spent oh, forty-five grand a, a semester or whatever to get this prestigious degree and then I was going to go teach with it. Mhm. Um
0: do you major- think go sorry. Ahead. Do you think some of that stems for from cuz I know in the STEM world there is this huge push to encourage girls in STEM and I'm all for it. Um but part of it is losing someone as bright as you to then end up in the exact opposite in a very female dominated world. Do you think part of that hesitancy stems from that for like no pun intended?
1: <laughs> I think there may have been some of that, some of that push that like oh no, we're going to lose one of our valuable women in STEM uh people. But I at least at RPI, there's this Culture, and I can't say that it exists in other STEM schools. Uh, I've heard that it does. That there's this superiority complex that science is better than humanities and that mathematics is better than science.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just yeah. this, like ideological hierarchy. Yeah. That the more abstract your work is, the smarter you must be and therefore the better you are. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So for me who biology at RPI was considered like just, just above psychology and physics was like up here. Yeah. So for me who was taking biology and I could go do some biochemistry or I could do biophysics and instead to be going down to, down to education no science involved, Mm -hmm. why would I lower my standards for that?
0: Yeah, that does exist in other schools, whether they're STEM or not. I know I went, so I went to Seton Hall um, for undergrad and grad school, but there was also Stevens Institute of Technology, which is right down the road, not very far. So we would, you know, we would go there every now and then and mingle and hang out Mind you, there was the running joke of like the eighty twenty rule at Stevens. If you were a girl, it's like you went there and I mean it was a joke, but it was very true. It was like 80% men. They're all very interesting, to say the least.
1: The odds um, are good, but the goods are odd. Yeah,
0: that is exactly the phrase we would use. It's like, but you know, we had friends there, so we would go hang out with them. I was in a in Greek life, and so we would visit chapters and stuff. And it was the same. The mentality of like the hierarchy of the majors that the stem world is the most like prestigious and exclusive little bubble and Mm -hmm. everybody else was just like there yes um because i did i did my undergrad in social and behavioral sciences minor in psychology the whole humanities roundup um and even in my field i'm an occupational therapist there's the hierarchy of Pediatrics is bottom tier. I'm a pediatric OT because it is the quote unquote least scientific, which is not true. No. It just looks that way. Um, but then there's also like if you go up, it's like outpatient care and hand therapy is the highest, it's the most scientific. Somewhere in the middle is acute care, that's the most like intense. And so, yeah, so I feel like every major has that, and you deal with kind of the all around. Um, even in my world, I, in pediatrics, people, if you work with children, whether you're a teacher, you're a OT, PT, speech therapist, whatever, mm-hmm. if you work with children, everyone thinks your job is easy until COVID hits. <laughs> and now everyone understands my job is not that easy. <sighs> but at the same time, they think it is easy because my kids are three and we spend most of our time coloring and cutting and doing a project
1: that your child can't do. But you try and teach a kid to hold a crayon. See how that goes for you. Exactly.
0: Uh, exactly. <laughs> They're like, how do I make him do this? He won't hold it the right way. He won't even let me touch his hand. And I'm like, just patience. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so how is, you're a teacher. We are all in quarantine. I work in Manhattan. We are completely shut down. And you're in New York. You're in upstate New York, right? I'm in upstate New York, yep. And you guys, your schools are shut down. We are shut
1: down. How is the online
0: teaching going?
1: I feel like I need to explain slightly what my school is, because it's not a typical high school setting. Um, If you're from New York, you are aware of something called BOCES. Uh, It's the Board of Cooperative Educational Services. And essentially, it is a a co-op like you're a co-op grocery store, except it's a co-op for education. Um, different schools in the area pay in to receive services that they would otherwise not be able to provide for their students. So we lend laptops out, we do technology. Um, we also can, uh, We also do where I'm at, which is vocational training, career and technical training. So I work for the career and technical school but I don't teach a career. I teach science for the career and technical school. So kids come to us for a half day, two and a half hours a day, and um, they learn a trade. Uh, which can oftentimes sound like they're coming here and learning how to build houses or be a plumber or something like that. But we do have quite a, a wide range of services and programs that we Service. I, I think I was telling you just before this that I work with criminal justice, so I have students who are, are planning to be lawyers and uh, policemen and firefighters, but also chefs and um, sterile processing in hospitals is another one of our our services that we provide, or not services, uh, courses that we provide. Um, so it's been particularly different for us because our students are not just our students.
0: So do They're, they work doing their career choice that they've made? Do they work doing that during the day? Is that how it works?
1: No, they come, in to, the, it, they come to us and we have classrooms that okay. are specifically designed to teach them how to do their trades. Most students come into the BOCES programs not knowing how to do what they want to do. Okay.
0: And then should they, do they also have like, quote unquote, regular school? Yes. Okay, so they go between the two.
1: They do. They get bust in between. Um, so not only do they have to follow all of the rules and regulations for their home school, they also have the added layer of having BOCES so right now our students have two different email accounts one for their homeschool one for BOCES that they have to keep track of. Um, We use Google Classroom so they have to log into Google Classroom with both different email accounts and keep track of two different schools worth of homework essentially. Um, And now we're doing video calls and video conferences as well so, they're keeping track of overlapping schedules because we can't contact their home schools. Like, we can't contact their home teachers, mm-hmm. you know? So, I don't know if the time that I have scheduled to do my class for the day interferes with another class that they're taking. Got it.
0: So, I do have a question regarding that because I have mm-hmm. cousins, my brother's still in high school. And due to this whole quarantine situation and school being online, a lot of kids are having that issue where teachers aren't sticking to their schedule, I guess, like they're Mm not, for lack of a better phrase, teaching is how it feels like my brother, um, you know, I was like, don't you have school right now? He was calling me at like 11 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, I just have to check in and make sure that if there's an assignment posted, I do it. I'm like, but what? Like, don't you have class? And he's like, well, they have Zoom, but like the teachers aren't using it. They just post assignments. And I'm like, so you don't have class. Like, why don't you have class? And, you know, he said the same thing about like teachers overlapping schedules. But I'm like, why aren't we just using the same schedule as during the school year? Like, it's not like anything overlapped then why and obviously he's only in one school it's a different ball game so it was very confusing and a lot of my families that I work with who have children in the New York public schools are having the same issue where kids aren't actually having class Um the preschools I get it uh, how much circle time can you do in a day <laughs> but you know when you get into like first second third grade you know their older siblings aren't having class or they're having class for an hour a day which is not how long you have class in school and the parents are concerned like I don't I'm not a teacher I don't know how to teach my kid why aren't you having class and so I've you know I just hear it I can't do anything (laughs) about it but it is I understand their concerns because if I was a parent I would have
1: the same ones do you have any insight on that yeah okay so one of our biggest concerns right now is not overwhelming our students. So yes, there's something to be said about having structure and having class time during the times when you would usually have class, but there's also the fact that the kids are in a new setting, they're getting used to new technology that they're not necessarily used to using as often as they are now. And they're being asked to do at least on the high school level, we are asking them to do more rigorous assignments on their own time. So there's a certain amount of expectation that even if we're not directly in a Zoom call with them, that they are spending the 45 minutes a day focusing on science or the 45 minutes a day focusing on math. Now, that being said, a lot of teachers are not assigning assignments daily that are 45 minutes worth of work. They're often assigning things that are much more grand in scale. Mm -hmm. And so they're still spending the same amount of time on the assignments and on school as a whole. It's just not as much face time with the teachers. And the fact of the matter is, is that even when we are in school, We're not lecturing for that whole period.
0: Right. You have discussions and you activities and things.
1: Which we can't do anymore because we're not in the same room with our students. My science time is cut tremendously because I can't do experiments, especially in a vocational uh, school situation. But even, I mean, in general, not being able to do hands-on activities with my students means there's a lot less that I can do I can't just talk at my kids all day yeah they wouldn't learn anything from it they wouldn't benefit from it it would just be checking off a box right the um the guidelines that we've been given from Governor Cuomo uh are that we should be anticipating about three hours of contact with our students per week at the high school level. Okay. So that's like direct. Yeah. Okay. Direct contact. So that can be a zoom call. That can be a chat room. It can be a a one-on-one phone call. I will say that, um, myself and the majority of the teachers that I know are hopping on on their phones and calling each and every one of their students regularly. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I'm, you know, I'm kind
0: of in the same boat. I'm an OT and I do service kids through the Department of Ed, even though I don't technically work for them. Anyway, that's (laughs) complicated. Um, But as a provider, we've had almost the opposite happen to us where because we see our kids based on their mandate so if i have a child whose mandate is twice a week for 30 minutes i have to provide those services Mm -hmm. which when you're treating three-year-olds on a computer it's a little hard to fill. 30 minutes is good but when i have those 45 minute kids hour-long kids it's tough because it's a lot of screen time for a kid you know between three and five like their attention span is that of a squirrel And now you want them to like sit and look at the screen and copy what you're doing. Kids who need so much hand over hand or, you know, tactile support. But at the same time, we still have that time allocated. So now my sessions are on the computer for 45 minutes, which is without the gym. I work in a sensory gym. Mm -hmm. It's hard to even come up with taking up that time because you realize how much of that session isn't spent just doing an activity it's oh we're gonna build our obstacle course can you move the slide can you put up the swing the obstacle course takes Mm -hmm. whatever 15 20 minutes and then we'll like pass by our other therapist and have a conversation how do we talk to our friends how do we take a turn we get to the table we do our whatever fine motor activities and whatnot and then it's like oh what did you work for you get five minutes to play or pick your sticker you talk to the parents and you realize even though it's a 45 minute session not every single second of that is hyper productive yeah. but then, now it's to be on a computer it almost feels like we have to spend every single minute of that being hyper productive and it's incredibly stressful it's not incredibly stressful it's it's hard for that not to be boring
1: so yeah i think
0: that's what it is you know when you have a 3 or 4 year old be like i'm bored and i'm like I don't know how to make this fun anymore. You know, I can't hang you upside down from the hammock <laughs> while we color. You kind of have to sit at the table or, or I guess you could lay on your belly and like and how much parent support can you have? Like with the older kids, they can at least handle things on their own, but like my 3 to 5 year olds like you need a grown-up. Where's your grown-up? Yeah. You know, even if half the time the grown-up is just hanging out, the other half you need to be on them and it's even hard to explain to the parents what I'm doing mm-hmm. or want them to do. So it's been an interesting adjustment. I don't totally dislike it. It's definitely been nice having a little more energy at the end of the day mm-hmm. now that I'm not picking up your children and moving them around the room. But, <laughs> you know, even I get bored sometimes. I'm like, girl, I'm bored too. <laughs> yeah. Unless, like, you want to pull out one of your toys, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's definitely what we've faced.
1: We've been having a similar issue with students being bored and needing that kind of parent encouragement, even at the high school level. Um now with older kids, they know how to lie. Yes. <laughs> so a lot of the phone calls that we make are not necessarily to speak with our students, but to speak with their parents and be like, hey, are you aware that your kid has done nothing in the last six weeks? Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's always an interesting um, dichotomy. You'll end up with the parents who are like, no, I had no idea. I'm going to go fix that. And then you have the, the parents who are like, well, none of this matters anyway. None of it counts. Leave me alone. Stop calling me. Yeah. And a lot of the parents,
0: like you said, were trying
1: not to overwhelm them. And yeah. so that's
0: when it gets boring. It's like, I can't tell you to build an obstacle course that's 10 feet long in your backyard. I can't tell yeah. you to pull out four different board games, separate all the pieces and use them all differently than the game said. Right. It's a lot for them. So then we kind of stick to like, you know, a worksheet with some cutting and gluing involved. And then the parents kind of feel like, is this productive? Like, do we need you to do this? And then I, I kind of, you know, you start as a therapist to feel devalued because this is the first it, look inside your session these parents have had, right? Because yeah. in the clinic, the parents aren't there. Mm-hmm. So now they almost feel like, oh, this is what you do. And it's like, well, no, but I don't know how to explain.
1: Um, yeah. I do. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's bordering on offensive, just how many parents are willing to say, oh, this is it. This is what you do for a living.
0: Exactly. It's like, oh, so he's just going to color? It's like,
1: who do you think got him this far that he can sit there and color on his own for right. 15 minutes? That exactly. took work. Yeah, exactly.
0: And so it's been interesting it's been mildly disheartening at times it's
1: fun and yeah that's that's where I'm at right now I've gotten to see a different side of my students which is really nice um I the way that my schedule works I only ever see any given class once a week Um, and so I'm not in their classrooms every day I'm in a different classroom every day um so having these conversations, having these video chats where my kids are logging in, maybe freshly woken up and still bedheaded, or maybe freshly woken up and still in their in their bed under their covers, um, I get to see a different personality of, side of them. Today, my morning call, it only lasted for 15 minutes. There wasn't really much that I needed to talk to them about. But at the end of 15 minutes, they didn't want to leave the call. And so instead, they they each took turns walking around their house and showing off their pets. <laughs> and I got to learn that one of my students has like six reptiles in their home. Yes,
0: I've met everyone's pets and everyone has <laughs> met mine. It, my, my dog has become the biggest motivator for some of my kids. They're like, where's your dog? I want to see your dog. I'm like, well, if you do good work,
1: <laughs> the dog.
0: Um, so it's been interesting finding, like seeing the inside of their world, you know, when they yeah. wake up in their pajamas and some of them, a lot of my kids, I see them after school, they come to the clinic and they're already beat. They've had a whole cool. day of school. They've had whatever in school that they do. And then they come here and they're being told what to do again and do things that are hard for them. And then I get them in the morning and they've just gotten up and they're like there and yeah. fully in. And it's been really amazing seeing how far these kids have come that even if you're three four and five even without your grown-up you got through this all by yourself and you've spent so much time watching disha highlight your cutting (laughs) lines that you know how to do it yourself now you don't even need your grown-up and it's i'm really proud of them they're taking it in stride but it has been quite
1: a challenge the learning curve is very steep for everybody involved for Teachers, paraprofessionals for students and for parents. Like my heart really does go out to parents in this situation. It's new and it's weird and they've never had to do this before. Yeah. And but it's a lot easy of- on us too,
0: please. Exactly. <laughs> it's like don't take away what we're doing because you don't maybe always understand it, especially when my kids are so young. But it's also, they're they're trying their best. They're overwhelmed, like you said. You know, most parents, at least where I work, are used to having a nanny or two on available. You know, your child goes to school all day, and then the nanny picks them up because both parents are working. And guess what? Both parents are still working from home, and you've got three kids with three different online school schedules and OT and PT and speech, and, oh, maybe they're still trying to do that extra stuff. Right. Whatever that is, um, it's a lot. I've had parents that literally look like they're on the verge of a breakdown, and so I try to even in my I send weekly emails to all my families to like mm-hmm. prep for the upcoming week. Um, just saying like you're doing a good job, like you're yeah. doing great. Your kids are doing great. Keep trying your best. Like just those little bits of encouragement have made such a big difference. Um, and my parents have with my families for years, so they like have my cell phone number and. There has been a significant increase in text messages and like, ir- but like not related to therapy, just like, <laughs> here's a cute video of my kid or like he was doing foam today and he said he does it with Desha. So he took a picture and I'm saying, so it has been really fun getting much more personal with my families than I'm used to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, they're doing great. And somebody's like, I don't know what's happening. What, what is this?
1: boundaries are definitely shifting in this climate I have students who are texting me at 9 30 at night asking me about whatever it might be life school the mysteries of the universe yeah. <laughs> and at some point I we're being encouraged now I'm I am grateful for my principals and my administrators I know that's not something you hear very often I am so <laughs> grateful to my administrators, the start of every faculty meeting, we have one every week now, but the start of the faculty meeting is always, hey, you guys are still posting things at like 10 o'clock at night. Take a break. You don't need to be at school all the time. Yeah. Our students don't quite get that. They, they're they just off in their own, like wake up at four in the afternoon and do their work whenever they feel like it and so when they have a question they have a question but they're so used to us being available to them that if they're doing their homework at two in the morning my remind is going off at two in the morning going to say how do I do this yeah you know my office hours are between the hours of eight and two exactly exactly and setting
0: those boundaries has been a big adjustment as well and making sure we have them because even I will have to like, all right, six o'clock, that's the cutoff. We don't answer any more emails. We don't, because now, you know, everything's on my laptop. Everything's on my phone. All my notifications are on. Everyone has my cell phone number and making sure to draw those lines. And like today is Friday. We are not doing this over the weekend. No, Okay. It hits five o'clock. I don't care if I have three notes left to write. It's going into next week. It's fine.
1: It has to. And I it has to be I fine. Encourage everybody who's listening right now to try and set those boundaries for themselves. No matter what profession you're in, if you're still working, allow yourself time to not be working.
0: Yeah. I think it was easy to get into the bad habits because when this first started, you know, we all thought like, all right, this will be two or three weeks. Yeah. We'll be back in no time. And, you know, I'm in Manhattan, and we kind of watched this panic ensue as, you know, attendance rates started dropping, families started leaving the city. I work in Tribeca. It's a very affluent part of the city. Most of my kids have other homes that they all went to. Um, But we would all thought we would be back. So we're like, it's short term. It's fine. It's no big deal. Mm -hmm. And now we're realizing this is not short term. This might go till August. This might go till December. New York City is not opening up the schools. Not this school year. So no. at least for me, it's still June. And I also provide summer services. It will most likely be through the summer. And it's been a big adjustment because now it's like I you have to create that workspace. You cannot call your dining table a workspace anymore. You have to have some sort of deviation. You know, you have to for me, it's meant buying a lot of supplies every week. My Amazon cart is coming in. My Target cart is you know full of markers and sequins I went to target yesterday and bought sequins (laughs) and kid scissors because the grown-up scissors were too hard to explain to kids now we have to go buy kids scissors um and I'm going to
1: show you what's sitting next to my laptop right now yes I I have petri dishes and auger sitting in my living room yeah and then like where do you put it all I'm trying to figure out if I if it would be illegal to mail my students petri dishes because that might be like transporting contagion. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to be on some Is there going to be with. stuff in it? <sighs> Maybe. <laughs> There's supposed to be. We were geared up to do this like bacteria antibiotic resistance mm-hmm. lab which I'm sure a lot of you have done in high school. It's pretty standard, but now my kids are in three different counties. Yeah, exactly. I can't get them petri dishes in three different counties.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, my kids are all over the place now because they all left Manhattan.
1: They're oh, in, you yeah. know, the
0: Hamptons. They're in Connecticut. They're in Pennsylvania. They're in New Jersey. Yeah. and so it's been it's been a lot for them. Even just being cooped up at home, you still have those families in Manhattan living in a studio apartment with their kids or their walk up to the fifth floor, or they can't get in an elevator because they live on the 35th floor. And what if somebody gets on and we can't maintain our social distancing? Right? How often can we leave? And so there's both ends of that spectrum happening and trying to be as flexible and understanding as possible. And you know what, it's okay. For me, I've had to come to terms with some of my family's agreeing to therapy just as a way to occupy their child for 30 minutes a day. And I'm like, that's okay. You know what? We're just going to sit here. We're going to have story time. Here's our Paw Patrol book. And that's okay. Yeah. Because that's your 30 minutes where maybe you get your child to sit down today.
1: Yeah. We are still, I feel helpless a lot of the time because we are also in that same situation where how often can we leave the house? We're cooped up, all of those things. But we're able to provide this service, and it is a massive service. Even if it doesn't feel like that day to day, we are the sense of normalcy for our kids, and we are the time that those parents get to, to maybe not be the center of their kid's universe for a minute. Maybe mom gets to make a cup of coffee finally yeah. while the kid is in front of the, the laptop. We are per- we're doing our part.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I've definitely had those sessions where it's not really about the kid. It's giving mm-hmm. mom a a chance to vent about how bananas their child is. <laughs> like, she like what well, had a parent? And they're like, my child said they were exhausted today. He has never been exhausted in his life. He doesn't even know what exhausted <laughs> means. <laughs> Meanwhile, this child is like running loops around the living room.
1: I'm Let's like acknowledge no, I learned
0: the new word. Exactly. And like he's learning his feelings this week and he decided he's exhausted today. And I'm like I get it. It's okay. <laughs> I'm like you're doing great, mom. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. I don't think we had like a real proper wrap up to the show, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys gained something from it. And don't forget to submit your pieces of advice via email to BWWPSpodcast at gmail.com as well as support the show on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash BWWPSpodcast at gmail.com. And if you really enjoyed the show, go on iTunes and leave us a review. Thanks so much, and we'll see you again next week. Bye!